You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. settings and see something like this take place and it's I've always been greatly encouraged by it I I use this as an example uh, a real life pastor example uh, one of those things that happens that you hope never happen again but it is hard to ask questions during the preaching and so my first pastor in Wausau Florida we had a gentleman that liked to ask questions while I was preaching and it is very distracting uh, so uh, it uh, makes it more difficult but I love to have an opportunity that we can gather and to discuss things uh, over the course of in between our talks. I get questions and things sent, and so I, I stockpile those, and, and uh, I try to address as many of them as I can in this setting and being sensitive uh, to our time. Uh, but because we have a, a Jared with us and Brantley, I'm going to start off our time and asking them a couple of questions. Jared, I'm going to start with you. You grew up here, and uh, many of you uh, know Jared and uh, uh, when I went back this past March to preach at the church I grew up in, uh, I had several elderly folks come up to me and said, when I had you in RAs, I never thought you'd be a preacher. And so I don't know if any of those feel that way about you, Jared. Probably not. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, but uh, real quickly, uh, if you don't mind, uh, uh, give us a, a real quick version of, of your, your, your time here, how God placed that call on your heart into ministry. And then as you transition through that, I want you to explain to everybody what you're involved with, with your church, uh, and then one of the ministries that comes out of your church, Founders Ministry. So start kind of, you know, how did you get from growing up here off to college, a call to ministry, a little bit of an education, and then coming back, and, and uh, where you serve, and about Founders Ministry. Okay. Well, I'm, that journey was one of sheer grace. Yes. So um, to go from... To try to put it in a uh, put 18 years of my life here at First Baptist Church in a nutshell, that's difficult to do. But um, I was born and raised in this church, so dad and mom over there, and there's no telling how many uh, Sunday school teachers and RA teachers and race car driver helpers there are in the congregation. And so uh, grew up here, hearing the word week in and week out, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights, and was converted when I was nine years old. And uh, I wonder if it was when I was sitting over by that second pew over there. You know, I don't know for sure. That's the moment. But I remember uh, in one of the services hearing clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Son of Man who came to live, die, and rise again, and being called to trust in him. And I remember genuinely seeing myself as a sinner and trusting in Christ and was baptized in this church. Uh, grew up. Went away to college at 18. Did you want me to work in a little bit of call to ministry? Yes, I do. We've, so. got, we've got several folks. About, we've got several people that are praying through a call to what I like to call from a sense of vocation ministry. But at the same time, I believe we're all called to ministry. But yeah. in particular, your call to, to pastor in a local church and, and walk us through that. Yeah, I remember having a desire for the work. And so if you go to 1 Timothy 3, where you hear the qualifications of an elder, it says anyone who desires to be an elder uh, aspires to a noble task. And so that aspiring language, desiring language is what we would look to to say that needs to be there in a man that believes God is calling him to um, a, a full-time um, pastoral ministry. And so I remember that began to grow um, when I was in college and just look for opportunities to speak the Bible to people, to counsel them and encourage them when they were going through difficult times, lead a few Bible studies. So that was like an internal call to ministry and uh, thought about seminary at that point. And when I graduated college was when a church actually called me to be a pastor. 
And so we talk about the internal call, which is there in 1 Timothy 3, and that was kind of a growing desire. Mm -hmm. And then an objective external call by a local church. You know, so we, we believe you need both of those things. You need the internal desire, you need the external call of the church. So it's called to ministry or called to a church to pastor in 2007. Okay. And pastored a church called Summit Church, along with a number of other pastors. And was there for a few years and then planted a church in 2010. And was a pastor there for about three or four years. And now I'm a pastor, associate pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida about two hours away, and have been there for two and a half years in that capacity. That's actually the church that I planted a church out of back in 2010, so I've known of that church for some time. And that, um, that was Providence Church? That was Providence, Providence Church, church. Okay. that I planted. Okay. Yep. So through that time, I guess that brings me up to today, yep. am I supposed to talk about my family? You, you always talk about family. Yeah, okay. Uh, so married over that time, Heather and I have been married 10 years, um, 10 years of ministry, Five kids. Every two years. Every two years, give or take. Something like that. So yeah, that's kind of my, oh, I didn't mention about founders, but the first one came, the first one came on our second anniversary. Okay. So you got a year. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to talk about founders? Yes. I, I, I was introduced to Tom Askell, gosh, years ago, um, and uh, I knew that uh, Dr. Askell was involved with uh, Founders Ministry. And so, um, you know, it's just kind of neat how God works and things and just how God works. It's just neat. Uh, and so to be in Florida now, uh, to be close to that ministry and then to have a, a friend that's involved with that ministry and I've had an opportunity to meet, you know, Tom and everything. So explain what Founders Ministry is and your role there. Because I will say, I think since you have been there, you, you seem to almost like energize it and, and right. bring in some young some young, young they're all old guys yeah all the, it was old guy ministry now it's a young guy ministry so explain a little bit what founders is uh you know uh, i know it's a southern baptist uh ministry and uh, so explain that a little bit of, of what founders is and kind of what you do there yeah so that's related to pastor tom askell who i mean we mentioned is the senior pastor at grace where i'm the associate pastor he's pastored that church for 31 years and so we often say that he was pastoring the church when i was one year old in diapers around here <laughs> and um he has also been the executive director of Founders Ministries that long. I think it started in 1983, which would be a year before I was born. And um, is a ministry, it's basically a teaching ministry okay. that is devoted to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. And so we want to see the truth that who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and why that matters. We want to see that recovered. Uh, we talk a lot about the danger of assuming the gospel and that means if I were to be preaching and teaching or evangelizing and I would say something like come to Jesus uh, or even believe in Jesus mm -hmm. uh, we actually are living in a day where we're assuming they know Jesus is the son of God and if you deny that Jesus is the son of God well then you deny the gospel that's not the gospel right that's Jehovah Witness which is not the gospel and, or deny that Jesus is fully man, or not being clear about the fact that he lived a righteous life under God's law, that he died a death for sinners, and that he's risen again. Being crystal clear about those things. So we're trying to labor to recover that. Um, it is a ministry that emphasizes the sovereign grace of God in salvation. So that even came up this morning a little bit when Brian Hendrickson was leading the Bible study, talked about God's sovereignty, that, that he is Lord, he's Lord of hosts. And it means he controls all things, yeah. uh, including when that comes to God's grace being delivered to us in salvation in the cross of Christ. So we emphasize that as well. We have a publishing house, so published books. Uh, there's a journal, a quarterly journal that you can read online. There is uh, conferences that they've held for many, many years. There's um, a study center online where guys can come and get more extended education and then transfer some of that credit hours into seminaries and so just laboring to see God's truth expounded and then the church growing more and more healthy more and more reformed on the basis of that gospel okay all right I knew that I I, I became introduced to founders ministry uh Jared did mention it comes uh looks at it from a, a reformation reformed aspect uh and we we interchange the word reform and, and calvinism and calvinistic Type things that it does, you know, that's one of the things that it does uh, 
talk about God's sovereignty in evangelism, trusting the gospel. And I know in, 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 in today's world, for some reason, that becomes kind of divisive. I've always kind of struggled with that, uh, of why we make the, you know, being crystal clear of the gospel and trusting in God's sovereignty divisive. So that's one of the great things about founders, I think, over the years. It's been very consistent in helping people see that we can trust God in the gospel and that do evangelism and missions and, and uh, those things. So what's the foundersministry.org.com dot just Google founders ministry. <laughs> well, there's no telling what will come up for you. Google founders ministries. Okay. You know, well, they've been around right. a long right. time and, uh, but founders.org okay. will lead you to the website. Okay. That'd probably be the best way. And it is there. grateful. They do have online journals and things and, uh, it's really, really neat. Uh, uh, I bumped into, uh, Jared at the conference in Indianapolis and I made reference to a mutual friend bumping into I guess that y'all do kind of look a little bit alike with the beard and everything and big square jaw and you know and so that was funny that was where Brantley did an intern in Wisconsin he literally thought that he was Brantley and in small world uh God is sovereign isn't he uh, so good job all right Brantley here's for you now you just uh, you're you're not 27 25. Um, 25 everybody always makes fun of what pastors say up here and I always mind them, y'all come up here and talk uh, and uh, we know you're 25. You just graduated college. Um, you're married. I'm married. You are very married. You have been married a year. And um, every two years, Jared has said, to be, to be faithful to the word and to be a biblical family. Just say uh, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That's just a command. Uh, it's just God's word. I mean, really. Um, we do have some young men that are, that are praying through, the, and, and I thank you so much for saying that because that's so true. They're, they're praying through that eternal call. God has stirred their heart. I know God is doing something, and they're preparing for that church to call and, and that external call that God uh, has, has equipped and prepared me, and this is what he's called me to do. Um, we've got some that are going to college. You just graduated college. What is that balance of I need to be prepared theologically uh, what advice do you have? I'm going to ask this two ways. Let me ask it one way first. Let me back up. One, you're just going to college, okay? You're just going to college. You're a man of faith. You want to live out the gospel. Uh, what advice do you have a college student that is a believer, uh, staying true to, the, the, to just the call to live the Christian life in an environment? You were at the Air Force Academy. Uh, that would probably be an environment that would be a little different than Boyce College. Uh, as a recent graduate, a, a man of faith, what advice do you give college students? I'm going to college. I want to remain true to the gospel, but I know I'm going into an environment that is not necessarily promoting that. Now that you have walked through that, what advice would you give to our young folks that are headed off to college and want to stay true to the gospel and, and glorifying the Lord and, and making wise choices? Yeah, I mean, I think outright the, the, the biggest thing is going into it knowing that that's the case, that especially if you're going to a liberal institution or a, a non-Christian school, the difficulty with that, the majority of the people don't even, like Jerry was saying, they don't even know what the Son of Man means, Son of God, that he, you know, came on earth and, and that he died for our sins and he rose, and they don't know that. And so a lot of, a lot of times I think Christians go into a university, I think especially here in like a smaller town, I've experienced that as well, you assume a lot of people think the way you do, and it's not true at all. I mean, a lot of kids, uh, especially at the Air Force Academy, I realized really quick that, you know, I had friends from Washington State, from to New York, to Texas. Uh, I mean, really all over, this, all over the map. And um, their church and their culture looked a whole lot different than mine did. And I remember that being very, very difficult to engage with people in that, that first couple interactions with make, making friends and what was acceptable, what was not acceptable. Um, so I think, one, you have to go into it knowing it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. I think, two, the most crucial thing you can do uh, is finding a local church and being plugged into that. Um, I say that as a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. When I first went to college, I remember even making that decision of, okay, well, what church will I go to now that I'm not, you know, uh, just a member of the church my dad pastors at? Well, how will I make this decision? Where will I go? What, what, are, the, what are the aspects of a church I look for? Um, I remember having those thoughts, 17, 18 years old in Colorado Springs, and, and I, I think realizing now, even, even with those thoughts, just as to, there are, there are tools to research good churches, I guess that's another question, but um, I realized real quick the necessity of a local church, and to meet, uh, there's a guy out there who now pastors in New Jersey, and, and I didn't know it at the time, but how much him and his family 
uh, helps me grow and, and, to, and to keep me accountable for what I grew up around and being under solid teaching. So I think if you're going out off to school, no matter Christian, secular, whatever your, your, your goals are, you have to get plugged into a local church. You've got to be around a community of believers that not only, you know, show us a diverse culture and allow us to be around people who might not think like you, but uh, it's just crucial. The unity, the community of a church, to sit under good teaching and preaching and everything that comes with a church. Um, so that would be my answer to that question. What, what about the young men? And, and y'all both can, can chime in. Um, you know, you're, you, you feel a, a, a tug on your heart. You know, I can think back to my life a little bit different uh, in some ways. But a, a tug on my heart, I know that God is calling me to do something. But I know I need education. I mean, I knew that I needed some theological education uh, if God was calling me to preach. So you just did graduate from Boyce, which is the College of Southern Seminary. And, um, you, you know, what, would you, what, what advice would you give to a young man that thought, I'm leaving First Baptist Avon Park, I'm going to Boyce. How do you balance the theological rigors and, and that environment, but yet still, you know, you want to be active serving through a local church? What is the balance that you, you met when you were there? Sure. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was first year, you kind of get in the mindset that uh, you're there to simply learn. That is true with any college student. You are there to learn. The biggest mistake I made, though, is you almost treat it like it's a, a practice round. That was the biggest conviction I had. I, I remember talking to Bryce about it all the time. Students get to this college, Boys College, any Christian school, any university, even seminary, working on their masters, and, and they treat it like a, it's like a, a practice round. They're just there to learn and, and you know, ask questions, and, and they basically are a part of this, you know, mock church. They're part of this mock community. They know they're leaving soon. They don't really pour in, and it's really an unrealistic picture of what a church is and, and, and if you're expecting to be a I think a preacher or a pastor or a leader elder whatever it might be you know you, you can't learn a realistic idea of how to do that if you're just you know participating you know and just trying to learn and grow and I think those things come by actually pouring into the church and committing and being a member and loving the community well and that's something Katie and I struggle with now I mean we, we rent a house we graduated college and everything feels so temporary right and so we're we just, you know, felt convicted and been praying about it. Like, we're just going to commit to where we are. Like, God is sovereign. God is good. And he has us in a rental property next to these neighbors for some odd reason. I have no clue, but it's for a reason. And so for college kids that are going off to a Christian university or a school pursuing ministry, you, you've got to treat it like it's your life. You know, there's no plan B. I remember they used to tell us that at the academy. There's no plan B here. Like, this is where, where you are. This is what you're called to do. So do it. I remember... Uh being horrified as a parent, Brantley, I don't remember where I was going, but I spent the, the weekend with Brantley, and uh, uh, he really takes his call to missions, and the, um, seriously, he rented a house, uh, the ghetto, where was that first house you lived in? And so, you know, I, he, he invited me over to spend the night, and he's up, Brantley's up in the very top thing, and he's like, I don't know if I need to tell this in front of your mom. Um, if you need to go to the bathroom, you need to go through this door. But if that door is shut, our roommate's in there. And we found our roommate online. We eBayed a roommate. I'm going, what? Craigslist. And Craigslist, excuse me. You didn't eBay. So we Craigslist a roommate. And I said, is he a believer? He goes, no, that's what makes it so cool. And I remember just being horrified that there's a serial killer locked in the room that I need to go to the bathroom in. And then it just dawned on me, is that not the coolest thing in the world? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a roommate for Craigslist so that we can share the gospel with this guy. Now, Mom, Sharon, sorry, I didn't tell you. Certain things you just don't need to know. Uh, but I do, I remember thinking that at first as a parent, he has lost his mind. We don't do that. And I remember getting at the airport going, that is the coolest thing I think I've ever heard. I don't think we initially, that was our goal. I think we, we learned through, like, wow, God yeah. is good that he would allow But us. I was impressed as your dad. Yeah. A lot of times you go to seminary, <laughs> seminary becomes your church, seminary becomes your service, seminary becomes your life. And so it's so important that we do life outside uh, uh, of seminary. Uh, real throw in one more yes, sir. quick thought on that. For, for people that are uh, younger guys that be interested in ministry or even older guys that are interested in ministry, what... Brantley, you just said about the, the church emphasis is making sure that you are doing it right where you are. You know, seminary is great. It might be the, good, the right thing to do. It might not be the right thing to do. Uh, but the right thing to do is to be theologically educated, and you can do that through yep. Pastor John. You can do that through other godly men in the church. You can do that through books. You can do that online now. But the, what you can't, what you, what you have to do, what you can't not do, is 
uh, shepherd the flock of God. Yes. And so yeah. we have people in our church that will come up. We have uh, elders, which is just synonymous with pastors. Some men who are not paid by the church, but still function in that pastoral role as an elder. And we're just looking, are they doing the work? You know, mm-hmm. so if somebody says, I want, we're all like this, you know, it's my, I really want to do that, but I'm not actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And so we say, look, are you, who are you discipling? You know, are, are there people that you're teaching the word, that you're correcting with the word, that you're encouraging with the word? That's what a pastor's supposed to do. If you do that now, you don't have to wait till you're done with seminary. You don't have to wait till you're done with some program. Mm-hmm. Just do it now in the church that you're in. And then the church sees that. The church that has the authority and responsibility to, to affirm these men into that role, they see the work. They go, hey, you know, that person really is, he cares for souls. He's teaching people's God, God's word. Now, you, you did your, your undergraduate, your bachelor, seminary. Uh, it's funny, I did not know this at the time when I was pursuing seminary. I didn't know that seminary was a master's. And so I called seminary and the young man, he said, I want to go to seminary. And he's like, send me your transcripts. And I went to high school, there's no college. And so I was just devastated at master's level. I didn't know that, just growing up in church. So you had your undergraduate. You did a lot of your doctoral and your master's level while serving in Fort Myers, didn't you? And I did, did a yeah. lot of it. With, with technology and the computer, you're able to do a lot. And I think that's what you were, you're getting at. You, you, I, mean, I can't imagine the experience you got being able to just to have those men pour their life into you, but yet you still got a great education. How did that work? Yeah, it really, it was very helpful to me. And there, there's pros and cons, and there's different opinions on how guy might pursue theological education but I started 10 years ago and I did eight and a half years of theological education between the master's and doctorate the whole time of which I was in full-time ministry and so there's pros and cons to that I can imagine (laughs) those first couple counseling sessions probably ought not have happened you know but um, (laughs) I wouldn't want to go hear them that's for sure um, but the advantage was, I, it was, it's theology for the church. It's doctrine and devotion. The danger is we think that theology is this thing over here, and then the lived Christian life, worship is this thing over here. That's not the case. It's God's word and the worship that springs from God's word. All theology leads to doxology. And so being in the world of the church and seeing, yes, this is true, this is what God says, and this is how it impacts people's lives. This is how we put it to work in the life of the church. That was very helpful okay. for me. Uh, a question that had, uh, is, has been asked, and um, it's uh, one of these things that always comes up. Uh, we talk a lot about making a Bible school. We want to, uh, you know, we, we did some things differently. We wanted to be able to invite our families back, and so we, we had more of a, an activity thing, and we invited the families out and wanted to meet the families. We were very heavy on the gospel all week and grace and needing to be saved. Um, what do we need to be doing? If we're going to reach people for Christ. I know with Southern Baptists, it's, it's one of these things. I can talk about Southern Baptists because I am one. Uh, and I, it's kind of like I can talk about them, but nobody else can. I get mad. Uh, we tend to love our numbers. And uh, I think a lot of times the scorecard seems to be numbers. You know, if it's a, it's a large church, one of my jokes is, um, uh, I only have 10 jokes. I just tell them over and over and over is that uh, a friend of mine in a public setting told me out loud, he was in a public in a basketball game, and he said, hey, Pastor Beck, I bet you could preach at Joel Osteen's church and get that thing down to about 50 in about a month. You're probably right. Uh, he understood the joke of that. He was probably right, you know, uh, because we can draw a crowd and, and you know, um, but yet, what does it mean to reach our community? Brantley, you're in a, you have, you have chosen to, to be part of a church that is in a, uh, a transitioning neighborhood. I think you do a, 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 a weekly basketball ministry with maybe you're the only Caucasian part of that group, a basketball ministry. You do have some hype to you. Uh, what, do you what does it mean to, you know, reach your community for Christ? We've got such a, uh, an emphasis on numbers and gimmicks and things, but what, what is it that we need to be doing to reach our community for Christ? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've realized that was very simple was just committing. <clears throat> I mean, being consistently there every single Thursday, opening the doors, and actually knowing what, what's going on in their life is huge. I think it, it was a slow transition once you start meeting new guys and being different for obvious reasons, not being from that area. They, I mean, they all grew up there. They all grew up together. They're their little group. No new guys, no new friends, you know. The biggest thing, they started opening up their their life to me in a sense when I just committed to being there and, and and being fair with them and you know and yes we were sharing the Bible with them every single week but 
as I mean, that's obviously the most crucial aspect, but honestly, just committing to, to being in their lives and opening up my life and letting them know, like, what I struggle with and where I work and all these little things. I think we're so closed off to, to, to people nowadays. I mean, we don't want to, it's not that we don't want to step on toes, we just don't want to talk to anyone. We don't, we don't want to be engaged with anyone. We don't want to interact with anyone anymore. We have our friends. We have our church. And I think in, like, a community like this, I mean, the, the neat thing about Louisville, it's, it's big, but there's pockets of neighborhoods everywhere. And Katie and I realized real quick, once as simple as walking around the block, you start to meet people and you start, you know, letting them know your names and where you're from and what you do and, how, you know, your worries of the neighborhood and your cares and just simple engaging with them, you know, and committing to, like, wanting to know them and have them over and, yeah. Jared, I'm you this. The, um, I have, um, I've been in several meetings, you know, we talk about evangelism and, and again, we're Southern Baptists. I'm very proud to be Southern Baptist, what we've been able to accomplish for so many years and I'm love the Southern Baptist Convention, but, but I have, I've been in some meetings before, and it's like, we're trying to figure out how to trick people into being saved, you know, if we, if we present the gospel with a juggling clown and a free donuts, and, and, you know, don't, don't talk too much about the blood of Jesus and sin, we'll get more people saved, and I remember being in different meetings, and, you know, and I'm thinking, golly, is it, you know, you know, and I've said this before, if we, if we win them with it, we got to keep them with it, what, what to you, what are the non-negotiables when you're down in in, in uh, Southwest Florida and your church is reaching their community for Christ? What are, when you're sitting down as, as leaders of your church, you're saying, "Okay, we want to we want to reach our community for Christ." What are the non-negotiables? Yeah. Well, I don't know about a juggling clown, but I'm always down for some free donuts. Okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> do that. Um, <laughs> like a donut. Yeah. You know, I, well, I think you got to start with God's word. Romans one says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it." is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And so if we really think about what that means, okay, we're, we need power if someone is going to become a Christian, not a Christian, become a Christian. What do you need? You need power. Where's the power found? It's found in the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, one thing we do with our members a lot is we'll ask people, we'll say, hey, if you an alien, you know, somebody that knows nothing about religion, and you had 60 seconds to tell them everything they need to know to go to heaven, tell them the gospel, what would you say? And we're surprised by how many people cannot say the gospel is about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and why that matters. Now, that might sound crazy to some people here. They're like thinking, I've, I've got that message down. But we'll find that it's neglected, and it is the power of God. Even if they've heard it before, there's power in that message. And so delivering that message is key to seeing someone become a Christian. And um, Romans 10, 17 Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if they need faith to be saved, where's faith going to come from? Well, we know it's a gift of God, Ephesians 2 says. It comes from him ultimately. How does he give it to people? He gives it through his word. And so faith comes from hearing. So teach the word, preach the word, have the word permeate our conversation with unbelievers. And so uh, Max Stiles has written a little book called Evangelism. And I'd recommend that. Small. It's, it's a quick read. It's just evangelism. It's a little red book, Max Stiles. And he says that evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And so i got to know what the gospel is, and i got to teach that gospel to people. And um, so we, we're there. And just you realize, let the word of God do its work in my conversation with other people. And then let it work its way in our congregation. You mentioned the danger of kind of some, some gimmicks and the way that we can attract people. And then people can get a little confused. Do I love the gimmicks or do I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I think history is a good example for us on this. There's a guy named Charles Finney uh, who was a revivalist yeah, preacher yeah. back in the 19th century and they, they have gone back and studied and seen that Charles Finney would come into town in these different areas and he'd put up you know, a big tent or he'd gather a big meeting and he'd do certain strategic things. He'd use inordinate emotion in his preaching of the gospel. Uh, he would extend services and like, keep singing songs, almost like sweating people out until they made some kind of decision. A lot of people would, would make some kind of decision, some kind of public profession. But what happened was Finney would move on. Uh, all of a sudden, people would go right back to living the way that they were living. And then what happened was when, when the gospel that was clear and preached came, when a church planter might come to say, I want to establish God's word here, they'd preach that gospel. And these people would say, we've heard that before. We've heard that before, and it didn't do anything for us. And they actually called them burnt-over districts. Mm. And so you go to these burnt-over districts where something less than the gospel came, 
and, and acted as if it was the gospel. People made a decision. There was no power in it. They weren't actually becoming Christians, and now they think it's watered down. So it's, it's a call for us to say we need to be careful and clear. We need to preach the gospel. We need to understand, especially we think with children, there, there's, there, it'd be very easy to get children to say a prayer you know, or do some kind of um, process and then say, okay, I'm a Christian now. We long to see little children come to the Lord, but we need to think, okay, what do they need to do? They need to repent of their sins and believe in Christ. Okay, we need to help them do that. We need to help them understand what that really is. What does it really mean to repent of your sin and to trust Christ? And then to shepherd them and care for them and encourage them to keep pursuing the Lord and have wisdom in the way that we think about people and, and conversion would be a real key doctrine to you look know, into. I see often, I think it's like... <clears throat> As a pastor, even, we, we're, we're, we have such a desire to see people saved. And even as lay people, you're, you know this as well. <clears throat> you, you see a book, How to Share Your Faith in Five Seconds and Get People Saved. I think we, we, we have a desire to get people to know the Lord and God is using us. That We've taken the gospel and we've just tried to figure out what is the, the easiest way I can share the gospel to get the greatest results. And I, that has always burdened me. I was a pastor my first few years in ministry. I was an expert of that, you know preach the gospel, talk through the invitation, the pianist is playing in the background, and everybody began to realize, okay, somebody please go forward so we can go home. My heart was right. I think my motive was pure. I think I, I wanted to see people come to know Christ. But then I began to realize, are they making a decision based on their head and their emotion, or are they really repenting of their sin and placing their faith in Christ? So I know I made a commitment years ago, I'm going to preach the gospel. And that, a lot of times you can't do that in five minutes in one little setting. Uh, and it takes time to preach and to preach that. I know myself, uh, I can't tell you what year it was. I remember many years ago I was thinking about uh, missionaries. We're praying for missionaries. We pray for missionaries. I, I'm going to be distributing some missionary prayer lists, church kind of prayer lists in the near future. We pray for that person to go to Africa. And we know what that person has to do. They come into a culture. They learn the culture. They build relationships with that culture. Uh, they begin to share the gospel. They trust in the power of the gospel. They don't know how many people respond to it. There's famous missionaries we've read about for years that had very few converts, but they were very faithful. And, and they pour their life into those people. They share the gospel. They do all of these things. And then for some reason, we think that's what missionaries do. That's what we do. That, you know, we love Avon Park, and it's not about coming First Baptist and be like us, you know. We need to find some people like us so our church can grow. And, uh, you know, we, we need to, you know, love Avon Park and love our community and to be faithful with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, being excited to invite someone to respond to that gospel, persuading them to repent of their sin and, and place their faith uh, in Christ. Uh, yeah, one more on that. If, is it okay? Yes, sir. Sorry. Um, you know, results are important. You think of Paul saying, you know, I, I become all things, all people, that I might win some. He wanted people to become Christians, and that should be burning in our hearts as well. And yet the, the danger is, is we try to think that we can somehow kind of scientifically work this out. We can assess our systems and procedures and we can get sidetracked if we're thinking results and then what do we need to do to get people to make some kind of decision. Uh, I think we should review, you know, if, if it finds that our church has gone a long time without baptizing anyone, we should be grieved about that. Sure. We say, God, yeah. we want you to save people. We pray, God, save them, save them. We know you don't delight in the death of the wicked, the Bible says, but you would desire that they turn and live. So, God, save them, turn their hearts. But we have examples in history, like Adoniram Judson, you know, he went on the mission field seven years and not a convert seven years preaching the gospel faithfully and thank goodness he didn't give up you know thank goodness the mission board didn't say you know what Adoniram really doesn't have it let's pull him back you know they they he, he labored on and droves and droves of people even to this day there's a witness that he's been there but he labored seven years so if we find ourselves in a season where people aren't being as baptized baptized as as much as we'd like to see the thing we need to assess is are we doing what the bible says brings about this are we committed to this go, so you go back to the gospel it's the gospel that's the power of god yeah. so are we clear on the gospel as a church are we clear on the gospel in our conversations are we talking about who christ is what he did and why that matters is it there is it permeating the ministries of the church is permeating the life of our congregation uh, assess it from that vantage point going back to the bible we're we doing what the bible tells us to do 
anything? Um, no, I don't remember the question now. All right. Last question. Uh, very practical question that, that has uh, been asked. I, as a, um, as, a, as a father, even more so, I guess, as a pastor, because uh, you're pastor's kids and, and what you do or just you live in a fishbowl, we live in a world where there's more options than there used to be. Uh, we've got uh, things at our schools for kids to be involved with. We've got, you know, swim, cheer, dance, football, basketball, basketball, football, swim. I mean, you name it, we can do it. All of those things are good. Um, where's the balance between, okay, I want my child to have good things, to be successful, if we do good things when they're young, and I'll give you a little story. A, a parent came to me, like an eight or nine-year-old, and said, hey, we're going to be pulling out of Sunday nights for, and Sundays for a while. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, like, why? Well, my, my little daughter's been invited to be on a fast-pitch travel softball team, and uh, we want her to go ahead and start young so she can make the high school team. And I just went, what in the world is he talking? You know, and it grieved me that, you know, a man that I thought was a, a strong believer was more concerned on whether or not their child could accomplish something that seemed to be so temporal. Uh, Brantley, you're, you're coming at it from a little different angle. You're, you're pastoring and serving in a church, and, and I don't mind giving my insight. How do we encourage people to have the balance? I do believe that God is sovereign. I do believe that God has a plan. We just, I mean, we, he, he's, he's put an X on the map. We sang this morning. What's going on in our families? Where do we find the balance? A lot of churches don't do Wednesday night. A lot of churches don't do Sunday night. We're, we're doing away with services because nobody shows up. And we've got, you know, Christian people doing all kinds of different things. Um, you know, where, where, where do you see the, the balance in encouraging families mm -hmm. to trust the Lord and, you know, invest their life in their local church and all these other things that may be important? They're, they really are meaningless and insignificant. Mm -hmm. I think uh, uniquely I work at, at Sporting Goods store, Dick Sporting Goods, and I've seen how much money is spent on Sporting Goods. So I think I, I, mean, I think about that daily. I think about the, the the market is incredible how how much money is spent and what they do to do it, and and how we're busiest on the weekends, even on Sundays when I have to work at night. How busy we are, and like I I think about that. I'm like, man, these people would do anything. And how many single parents I I see come in. This is a little side thought, but I see how many single parents I come in and I think to myself, unfairly, I think, man, if they would just care more about, you know, maybe re reconciling a marriage over their kid who's nine and buying them a $300 glove. And I think, I think, I mean, I think it's hard. I think as a parent, it's hard. Every parent in there, as a salesman, it is so easy to sell to a parent when I say every kid has this, right? I say every kid has this. I'm, I'm not even working on commission. I just want to, I want to sell stuff. When I tell them that their, their kid in T-ball needs T-ball gloves because every kid has it, they don't even ask questions. They'll spend 20 bucks just like that. And so I, I do see that weekly, how devastating that is. I think the hard part is from being an athlete myself and gone through high school, middle school, I mean the, the younger stuff and even a little bit of college ball, the best thing I gained from that was, was when I looked at it through the lens of scripture and understand how can I be a better godly man, right? And I, it just didn't hit me until later in life and at boys playing basketball, how much the idea of, okay, I have a game, I have an end goal, I have a, a thing I'm trying to win, right? I'm trying to win a game with a team, right? I'm gonna come together with this group of guys and we're gonna achieve this goal. How can I prepare to do that, right? When you start looking at it like that, it changes your life in a sense. As a Christian man, that's how I should pursue a community or a church or man, how beneficial this is for kids to see you have, if you wanna achieve something big, you have to work together as a team, right? And I know it's a far stretch making the connection with a football team and a church and all that stuff, but um, I don't know about directly from a pastor's role of how you instill that in members that church is important and stuff, but uh, I definitely see that it's an issue, but I do think that there's a way for a parent to say, you know what, son, you know what, daughter, I think it's fair for you to pursue sports. I think it's helpful. I think it's good. They learn all these life skills, but even bigger than that, they, they can understand that if you want to succeed and you want to be honorable to God, I think there's measures that have to be, you know, you have to do things. You can't just, being the eighth man isn't fun, right? I mean, you can't just sit on the sidelines in the church and just pull in from the, the country club mentality that so many members do is that we just want to come to church and sit around and sports sports are good. I, I, I would never condone them. I just think that from a non-parent, I, I mean, it would be hard to speak on that directly, but I think it, it's important to share to the parent that, yeah, once it starts getting 
I don't know what the limit would be, but once you start, you know, missing the point, I think that's when it gets bad. You definitely shouldn't be missing church and missing opportunities to sit under the preaching and teaching of the word and missing time with your family of believers. Um, so, Yeah, my, my struggle personally as a pastor is that I, uh, you know, the, as the question was asked me, um, where's God in this? You know, as a parent, and, and, and wanting our children to accomplish great things, it's easy to say, if they don't do this, then this won't happen. If they don't have this, then that won't happen. If they don't do this, then this, this college won't look at them. And it, it's just kind of sad because <clears throat> where is the gospel? Where is God in all of this? He, you know, and I, I think of things very simplistic ways. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we overthink. He created the universe I bet he can take my redeemed child and, and take the desires I have as a parent that I want what is best for my children. And what's best for my children is not happiness. What's best for my children is holiness. What's best for my children is not to be successful on this side of heaven, but my goal is that my, my child has redemptive value uh, in heaven. I'm sure there were times I made decisions. You, you have any memories of, of me telling you not to do something and then as you got older um, that you know you think gosh I'm glad dad was dad mm. uh, at, at that time yeah I mean I could, I could bear witness to that <laughs> <laughs> I, you know I, I just recently wrote an article on founders about this church I mentioned this church precious church that was committed to this I think your question is a key question for this particular cultural moment that we're in there is a reduction of the church the church is being weakened in very practical ways there's no doubt I mean if I want to build a good basketball team if I want to build a good army guess what we're gonna have to do we're gonna have to meet we're gonna have to train we're gonna have to talk uh, you stop meeting as a church you're weaker you, you you drop a meeting you're weaker and I tallied up in this post my life growing up, 18 years in this church. And I was brought for Sunday school. Remember, like, ran from 9 o'clock to 10.30. I'm thinking I got an hour, hour and a half of Bible. Came here, sat for Sunday morning service. Came back at 4.30, and I had youth choir. And then I had a little meal that some, some precious ladies here sacrificed and cooked. And then I went to discipleship training for an hour and got taught the Bible again over here. And then I came and sat from 7 to 8 and heard the word again. And then came on Wednesday night for two hours from 6 to 8. I'm hearing the word, and I tell it, it was like eight hours a week that I'm hearing the word from the church, from the church. The first church I served was a massive church, 2,000 people. We met for one hour on Sunday morning. That was the extent of the church life, one hour on Sunday morning. And people come maybe every other week, once a month. So take a kid, and from birth to 18 years old, tally up my eight hours a week and tally up some other child's. And how many hours of Bible are they hearing? So when I get to seminary, the Bible is just in my bones in a way that, that is absent in others. Because I've just been taught these things by people that have faithfully sacrificed to teach the word. And so the key here is not to see, it's, it's easy to feel like the family and the church are at odds or in tension with each yeah, other. Yeah. Uh, but if think about what the Bible says. First uh, Timothy says that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Okay, so the church is upholding, undergirding that truth in society. What does my family need? Dad. It needs the truth. Yeah. It needs the truth. Am I serving my family when, when I say, you know what, I'm going to take this off and go do some other deal? I mean, there was a reason that uh, I wasn't in travel baseball or things. I was a huge baseball player, but we're not going to do travel baseball. It's going to take me away, you know, for two months of the summer, and I'm not going to be able to gather on the Lord's Day with God's people. We're just not going to do that. We're not going to do that. So being devoted to the church, we have in our covenant that we make as, a, as members at our church a number of things from the Bible, one of which says we will, devote, we will give the church a sacred preeminence over all other institutions of human origin. So I, I'm devoted to the church. My life is around the church. And I love my family, but hey, kids, get in the car. We're going to church. Hey, kids, let's pray Saturday night for Pastor John or Pastor Tom who's preaching the word. Hey, we were meeting Wednesday night. Let's go. What did you learn in Bible study? So our life is wrapped around the church. I think Christ uh, says some, made some clear divisions in Mark 3, you know, with his mother and brother are there, and Jesus is teaching. They say, your mother and brothers are outside. And he says, my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of my father. And what a huge 
distinction there. Okay, we praise God for family members that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is critical. So I think we're going to need to pray and really think about why we do what we do and ramp up uh, in the coming generation, getting back to a robust church life. Yeah, I've often thought it's so sad because, and this was a little bit of my growing up somewhat, uh, my parents went through a, a horrible, all divorce is horrible, a horrible divorce and, and some pivotal time in my life, and so a lot of things changed. But it, it was almost like I feel like our culture today is, and I heard a, a pastor uh, say this, and, and um, you know, I don't mind saying his name because it was a public thing I heard Andy Stanley said, and uh, he said that their target group is they, they, they're targeting people that uh, they're visiting the church. And so he said, our target group is someone that encounters the church 15 times a year. And I just went, if, if we say, okay, we want to reach people that we know will come to church only 15 times a year, how far do we lower our expectations? How can you teach, how can we teach and equip and mobilize for ministry if we're, we're only wanting people to attend 15 times a year? And I was just... You know, and a lot of people, we would look at an Andy Stanley type and the churches they've got, that, that's kind of their goal. And it was just very heart-wrenching to me to think, have we gotten to that point that we have taken the church and what it is and just, you know, we can't, you know, I don't look at it, we can't compete with all the activities. We don't have to compete with the activities. We are the activity. You know, yeah. we are the church, the bride of Christ. Uh, and uh, so I thought that was a, a great, uh, a great question uh, with that, I thought about Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and following an Old Testament principle about teaching the thing to the Lord. Uh, these are the most important things that we can do is raise our children to honor and to fear and to love God. Uh, I think there's a reason why so many children, you know, they say the hardest people to reach are people when they graduate high school because they leave the church. They leave. What is that saying? What have we taught them? They've left the church when they have their own choice whether or not to come to church. Uh, I think we need to do a better job as parents instead of saying we're going to go to church and we can that when we, when we come home Sunday, we, when we drive home from church Sunday morning, we're talking about next week. And instead of it being a, a day of the week, that that's the most pivotal thing that we do. And I think that, you know, uh, uh, it ought to be the most important institution in our life. Yeah, you have a brief testimony of that. Um, you know, my whole life, I, I look back and think of all the people that had to do things that were completely out of my hands. I wouldn't have came to church if I was a little kid by myself. And I could remember, I would just exhort parents to take your kids to church. It's not optional, you know. I remember, it, I can remember at least one, and there's no telling how many times I did this to my parents sitting right over there. Uh, the alarm clock would ring for Sunday, and I'd be in bed, and I'd say, I don't feel good. I'm sick. <clears throat> you know, it's like, get out of bed. Church starts. Let's go. Get the donuts and get in the car. And uh, so just this rhythm of life, you know, where, yeah, it, it's going to be a discipline at times to come to church, just like everything is. The whole Bible's full, and it's hard to read the Bible. It's hard to pray. Yeah. It's also a joy, and, and both of those things are entangled up inside of us so just continue the good fight of I had, a, I had a parent tell me one time that they said well I don't my, my child doesn't want to come to church and I don't want to make him to come to church because anyone gets old he won't want to come to church and just off the top of my head I said well Brantley doesn't like to brush his teeth but I make him brush his teeth I mean he's not going to grow up and not want to brush his teeth because I made him brush his teeth now you know and the, and the parent kind of looked at me and said, you know that's a good point I said well you know there's a lot of things children don't want to do uh, but if they see us doing it for the right reasons, I think they'll understand that. Because my goal is not for my children to be happy and be at the best college or be at the best thing. My goal is to raise children that honor and fear the Lord. I look at it now. You know, I jokingly talk about grandkids, but I'm patient. Uh, as, long as, as long as I can play with your kids, I'm okay. I got in trouble at the lake with somebody's kids, had all the kids crying. Um, I, I like playing with the kids, uh, but uh, uh, the goal is I want to raise my goal. Now, his thing, and I'll say this, and Sharon and I talk about this. We were too young to have kids. I don't know how you felt when you started having kids. We don't have a clue. Fully prepared. Fully prepared. <laughs> we were young. We, you know, as, as, as prepared as we can be, but how many of us are prepared? I mean, are you prepared? You know, 
I mean, Fully he got prepared. in trouble for eating three cookies today even. He today got in trouble for eating three cookies, you know. He's sneaking around eating cookies. I'm going to eat, and he's going to raise my grandchildren? Uh, none of us are ready to raise children, but God is good and God is gracious and God is loving and he will, he will take that. So my desire as a young 20-something that doesn't really have a clue, I love God, I love Sharon, I love the Bible. I literally remember making this statement to her. I didn't theologically maybe grasp the why, but when we got married, I remember telling her, we are going into that building every time the door's open. Mm-hmm. Now, was it legalistic? No. I just knew that great things would happen if I would commit my life to that building. And, and we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and prayer meeting. Here's the goal now I'm seeing now. I'm raising him, and I hope I've raised him. He's going to raise my grandchildren. And that's a lot to be said. You think about it from that perspective. We're raising our children now that are going to raise your grandchildren. And, and as a grandparent, could you imagine how sad and grieving it is to, to you know, because we always talk about it, we, we love our grandchildren differently. I, wanna, I want grandchildren that are going to be raised by parents that have been raised to love the Lord and His church because uh, I want to have grandchildren that will be raised the same way. And I think the community of the church is, is just so, so crucial. Well, we have run out of time, we usually do. Um, I kind of shifted gears when I knew y'all were going to be here, and I kind of became the moderator on purpose. Frankly, it was like, what are we going to do tonight? What are we going to do tonight? Just trust the spirit in your dad. Uh, so I appreciate that, uh, you being willing to, to share these things. I know, Jared, that growing up here, uh, these folks are proud of you. And, and uh, you know, I said, going back to a church that raised me, there's just something special about that. Son, we're proud of you. And uh, I know we've only been here for a few years, but a lot of these folks feel like they're yours as well. And, and uh, uh, our goal as, as a church is to be able to, uh, you know, I, I was reading in, in, in Ephesians 4 in my own quiet time. Uh, and you go through that in Ephesians 4, 1 through, and it gets into 13, so that we may present everybody mature in Christ, present everybody to the fullness of Christ. And I thought, what an awesome call. That we are a church, and as a pastor, I want to have, I want to present everyone, everything that we do, we present everyone in the fullness of, of Christ. And so I think things like this are helpful and encouraging. And so thank you for your 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 time tonight. I, I feel bad in a sense because you know you were with your family on, on even though it was Sunday night, and I'm sure you would have been here anyway. But I feel like I pulled you away from your family on, on a holiday. So thank you and. And uh, uh, why, don't I, why don't we come to our feet and I will dismiss us with a word of, word of prayer. Lord God, we love you for tonight. I thank you for the power of the gospel through the church. Thank you for Jared's life and, and uh, Lord, living and growing up here. Uh, we thank you for the testimony uh, uh, of this church, uh, for investing in him. I thank you for Brantley and his faith and as a parent watching him grow and to learn, uh, to leave home and to... Uh, strike out on his own as a, as a, as a father and uh, a dad possibly one day. Uh, Lord, what a great treasure it is to just trust the power of the gospel and your sovereignty and your, and your reign over your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that this time has been a blessing to you as we have uh, encouraged the church and we have been encouraged. And I do pray that we could all grow and mature into the fullness of Christ that we would reach our, our community with the gospel, that we would see people saved and grow in their knowledge and understanding of you, and that this church continue and can, can start even since a sense of a fresh and anew of really reaching this community for Christ. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for our night, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.